and welcome to the Preaching Magazine podcast. This is Michael Didway, I'm the editor of Preaching and your host for this podcast. And I am privileged today to be visiting with a, an old friend, Ralph Douglas West, who's the pastor and founder of Brook Hollow Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, which has come to be known as the Church Without Walls. Uh, from a, an initial membership of 32 people, the church has grown into a thriving congregation of over 24,000 families. They, they meet now in three locations. Uh, Ralph West is the author of several books. He serves as adjunct professor of preaching at Baylor's Truett Seminary. And Ralph, thanks so much for visiting with me today. Thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure for me to talk with you and visit with you. You know you're one of my favorite people on the planet. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I was just with you a couple weeks ago on your beautiful church campus. And uh, sorry, but I, I can't help this. First question that comes to mind is, for a church without walls, have you ever counted how many walls you've got there? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, great assessment. Yeah, I got quite a few walls <laughs> at the church of our walls. <laughs> you do, you do. Uh, well, you're a pastor of a tremendous church, but I know that along the way God brought you through some challenging times. Can you tell me a little bit about those early days of pastoral ministry that, that kind of brought you to the founding of a new church? Yeah, I pastored a church in Houston's Heights area. Uh, it was an older congregation, and I'd served that church for right at four years. And um, nearly 30 years separated from uh, leaving that church to now, uh, I can better articulate some of the tensions that developed being the founding pastor of uh, the Church Without Walls. And one is, is that my inability to understand that history. As a founding pastor, I got, I, I have the opportunity to, to write history. And I often think about the generations that will come that will interpret, misinterpret, or reinterpret what we are doing now. And might change it without understanding the reasons why certain things have shaped the way that they have. I think that was one of the things that brought about a piece of tension in my pastorate at that church, is that they had a history, and I didn't understand how to really assess that history. The church was growing. Um, it was numerically growing, and I think it was spiritually growing. And then there was a conflict even at what we understood growth to be. I was just excited about people filling the pews and uh, being a part of that fellowship. I didn't understand again that a church that was older, many families in that church because of intermarrying in that congregation, that every new person posed a threat to the undoing of that nucleus. Uh, had I understood that, uh, I, I don't know what I would have done different. I probably just would have been able to articulate it or communicate my vision different in that church. And so I learned a lot in that church and pastoral ministry. I learned that, um, uh, <laughs> I learned that they can call you pastor. You don't necessarily have to be that as we understand what the pastoral role is. Is that that's an earned position, and that's a uh, you know maybe given to us 
biblically and ecclesiologically that a community is an earned position. That it's only after you walk with people through the valley of the shadow of death. It's only when you stood with people at the open of the grave, the blessing of a baby, the union in marriage, the baptism of a loved one. Uh, do people really begin to understand or see you as uh, the pastor of the church? So many of the challenges that I encountered at that church was the travails and the bursting of uh, the church that I was. And now, nearly 30 years later, I often wonder, 30 years from now, when new pastoral leadership has come here, new leaders, new generation, how many people might stumble and fall over the same mistakes that I've made uh, because of the, uh, the inability to assess or interpret or to uh, exegete, yeah, that's a good word, exegete the history uh, that we've established at the church. But I, I learned quite a bit at that church. Uh, to help prepare and shape me for the way that I do church and ministry here. Well, you're now senior pastor of a, of a major church, and, and, I, yeah. and leadership is such a critical role. Uh, what are some of the most important things that you've learned about being a pastoral leader over the years? Yeah. Well, probably the single most important well, I shouldn't say that. A couple of one is is um, not to abuse, not to abuse the invested authority that people place in you. That's been one of the big challenges for me. Again, being a founder pastor of the church, that uh, I can build in a team of uh, men that I have for years for my accountability, uh, strong leadership. Still in the church, the pastor, for the most part, is the pastor. Okay. And so the first part is that the pastoral ministry today has to have a built-in barometer, a kind of self-correcting barometer to help when you start making decisions and not to make decisions or to make choices because you have the authority to do it, uh, to run those questions, assessments through a particular grid or established grid. And uh, it's so funny in the that, that the very thing that I was fighting against nearly 30 years ago are the things 30 years later that I'm putting in place to say <laughs> these things can work if you have the right people in that in place. I think another thing that I've learned, Mike, is uh, uh, we often say it this way, leadership is influence, and it is that. And it's yet to use that influence for um, the, the, the promotion of uh, the kingdom of God's agenda. And so even our leadership had to be baptized in God's visionary agenda. But those are some of the things that I, that I mean heavy on now. You know, not to abuse the role of pastoral authority and then to use influence to really help to shape the church as a community in fulfilling God's kingdom agenda, to go into the world and make disciples, and to reach the lost and baptize them and instruct them in all things. I still believe that that is the primary vision of the church, and, and it's what shapes leadership. Good. Um, Ralph, what, what role does preaching play in leadership in the local church? Yeah. 
you know, years ago, uh, historians, maybe maybe not historians, maybe church historians, uh, homileticians who pay attention to church history said that the 19th century was the golden year preaching, and yet, even then, there were preaching critics that referred to preaching as being dull, and it was lulling people to sleep, it was irrelevant. And, and those same same uh, pundits uh, speak today that preaching has lost its way, preaching is irrelevant, that we need to find a new way. And yet, I truly do, I mean, I hold to that the scripture gives us a guide that is through the foolishness of preaching. Uh, that men and women would be saved. And so I, I believe that preaching remains a primary function of the church. There's so much debate about this now, you know, that those, so if we just have good leadership, and typically they mean by leadership, administrative structure. And I think that structure is good. I think it's necessary. Uh, accountability, I believe all that's necessary. But the primary function, and I believe that it holds still supreme in the church is the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I believe that it's so central that this is where you really, really publicly promote the vision of the church, the proclamation. I think that this is where leadership has as strong as emphasis for pastoral ministers to proclamation. I believe that preaching is a place that young people respond to the gospel, that youth ministers are shaped, that children are nurtured and grown in a healthy, spiritual, and church environment. I, I believe that it's that, that moment in church that makes the difference. I've, I've tried to make preaching central uh, in our church, and unapologetically, it has created an environment where when people come through the doors, they actually anticipate what God is going to say to us from His Word. So, preaching is central, is primary. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that is secondary or tertiary. I think it's primary. I think it's primary. Everything is born out of preaching. Dr. Gardner Taylor um, was asked about the place of preaching in the um, Concord Church in Brooklyn, New York. And Dr. Taylor made a very interesting assessment that everything, and people were asking him about his educational program, the school, his nursing home, um, the different uh, credit union, other social agencies that he had. And he said that all of it was the outpouring of the result of the preaching of the gospel. I hold to that primary role of preaching that everything flows. It is, it is from that pool all the streams flow. Good. Do you think that pastoral ministry, uh, well, let me ask, put it this way. How do you think pastoral ministry in the African-American church may have changed compared to past generations? And, and what yeah. do you foresee ahead? Yeah, oh, it's changed. Um, I've been preaching now 40 years, and I grew up under a pastor that was a dominant preaching voice, not just at the local congregation, but a city and a nation figure, a national preaching figure. 
And I understood even through college and seminary that preaching alone would build a great church. Um, there was a time that if the preacher was an able preacher, as the preacher was often referred to then and beyond, an able preacher, it guaranteed an African-American church, Anglo church too, but because the question is zeroed in on the change of the African-American church, I have lived to see this. If the preacher could preach, that was the securing of a great church. I've also lived long enough to know that that's not true. <laughs> that what we view as not the most gifted preacher turns around and builds these enormous uh, places, these spaces of church. And um, so, I've, so I've seen that change. Um, I've seen where preaching that used to be the primary, the primary function in the African-American church has a role of leadership take even a tertiary place now. That we place so many things above it and beyond it where preaching is not central. Which is a shock to me and makes me have to rethink some things, but I've never rethought church and ministry to the point that I wanted to reduce preaching uh, to a secondary or tertiary place. Uh, it, it holds primary. I'm, I'm going to preach the gospel if nothing else happens. But I've seen, to answer the question, I have seen the change of that. And I've seen where preaching in the African-American church has taken a more secondary tertiary role over against some other things that we may promote in the name of the church and, um, and reaching people. Uh, I just don't know the longevity of anything other than what the Lord Jesus himself puts in as being primary is going to last. That's my challenge. You know, I don't see how anything else is going to last. Now, I've been wrong on a lot of things. Many, many things that I have predicted I've been wrong. It's true that I am no prophet in that sense of the word. But I got to believe that if, if preaching and proclamation of the gospel, being a steward of the mysteries of God, is what God's called us to do, that that will be honored in the church. I agree with you. Um, Ralph, tell me about your preaching. About What's your approach to preaching week by week? After being here in this pulpit for almost 30 years, I, I approach it almost the same by asking, where are we and what do we need to hear? Uh, it's May now. I'll begin. I'll take a week or two or a few weeks to sit down and just try to nail down where my preaching calendar is going to go for the fall. I'm, I know what I'm preaching on New Year's. Uh, uh, 2017. Uh, I know. I know the sermon for that morning. I'm aware. I know what I'm doing for December. I'm not clear on November and October right now. I'm thinking about preaching through a book in the Bible. I just finished First Peter. I'm thinking about maybe looking at Philippians. Um, primarily, or, or I'm looking at as we're approaching next year. Uh, the 500-year celebration of the Reformation to write out a series of messages around, you know, the place of Reformation and New Reformation, you know. Mm -hmm. That may be something you and I need to sit down and talk about 
uh, in a few days. Uh, so my, my approach goes to that I'm trying to pay attention to what's happening in the world, what's happening in the world of the church, what's taking place in the life of the people of my congregation on a very personal level and then uh, communal and global level. I'm also thinking about those times when I have to preach something supportive uh, on what ethical issues and demands that are confronting us, which are, which are broad right now. They're, they're really big, you know. Uh, this is one of the questions that came up in one of our staff meetings. You know, how do we preach the gospel about a, a never-changing God in an ever-changing culture? And this is posing real problems for our people. So my approach is to try to make an assessment of what's taking place on the personal, the local, communal, uh, the global scene. And uh, I can't preach all of it, but at least give me the idea to say, am I going to preach something under this heading for the next several weeks? I'm going to preach through a book of the Bible, which always seems to touch every need when you preach through these books. I haven't preached through... Uh, books of the Bible in years, but man, I've, been, I've, I've stumbled up on First Peter earlier this year, and I just had a great time just walking through uh, not every verse, but some of the some of the uh, more prominent passages from the Big Fisherman. So that's how I still go about doing it, and then I try to lay out uh, now as I'm thinking about it, I'll start collecting my exegetical materials so I can read during my vacation time and and uh, read slow meticulously and I can make notes in the margin and and uh, and then start accumulating uh, illustrations and to really give attention to, to answer one question, what does this passage mean to us today? How do we package that? That's a line that I've tried to incorporate in my preaching more and more in a culture where people want to know the rele relevance of the scripture. You know, that's just everybody's crying for relevance. And I'm saying, you know, if you execute the biblical passage, if you interpret it the right way, that's where relevance comes from. And so I try to draw the attention of the audience to that one question. What does this passage have to say to you and to me on this day? It says this to us, you know. So they can walk away and say this gospel is portable, or this epistle, or this prophetic speech is portable to my life. So I, I'm still going about it about the same way, uh, Mike, of trying to ask the question, what is God saying? What is God saying to me, to us? How do I apply what God has said to my life? And how do I live that gospel that he's given to us? And uh, the challenges are the challenges of making study uh, different now. And what I mean by that is that uh, uh, the, the pews have become more educated, and if they're not educated, they at least got TGIF in front of them, uh, Twitter, <laughs> Google, Instagram, and Facebook. So they're always looking up at everything that you're doing, you know. And, uh, and so it's making it good for preaching and uh, trying to, and just trying to be faithful to the biblical text, trying to be faithful to the gospel story. Yeah. When you're not preaching through a book, do you, do you normally preach in series? 95% of my preaching is attached to a series. Okay. How, how long uh, is a typical series I, for you? Now, that's a great question. 
I used to, I used to try years ago, and this is many years ago, like 28 years ago, 